You're listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. In this episode, I'll talk a little bit about sports media. I mean, after listening to the whole Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka debacle, it just made me wonder, when did journalistic integrity, and that might be an oxymoron, take a nosedive, particularly in sports? I mean, the public is constantly bombarded with clips and sound bites of celebrities, politicians, and sports figures absolutely losing their cool when having to answer stupid questions posed by journalists that have never played the sport that they're reporting on, certainly not at the level that the athletes they're interviewing have. So sometimes, like, we have to take the blame. I mean, are we the public partly to blame for egging on the media to stop throwing softball questions and start provoking conflict with piercing inquiries that are meant to throw athletes or coaches onto tilt. You know, it's like we're school kids provoking classmates to fight just to watch the carnage. Before I get into my rant on the gas on the fire media, I wanted to share another story from the first tee this past week. It's a Saturday afternoon during a busy holiday weekend and newsflash, the course, like every other course in Charleston, South Carolina, is packed. I meet this mature friend group of around six people and they're about to go out and play and they're going to break it up into two threesomes. And we're talking, they are the nicest people, positive, they get it slow, they get they're going to get out when they get out and they're just having a really nice dialogue and they're fun and they're funny people. This twosome shows up to play and their tea time is right in front of these six people. So I let them out. The six people are like, hey, that's fine. I know they got here a few minutes late, but let them go. We want to just have fun. So the two players are now waiting on the first tee box and they're waiting because there's a foursome out in the fairway that just hit and there's a foursome on the green that are still putting out. So it's like a waiting game, and it always seems worse than it is when you're standing, particularly on deck and watching. So these two guys are kind of swinging their clubs and waiting, and as they're waiting on the tee box, this very well-dressed, well-equipped, and I mean clubs, not body, mature lady comes up to the tee box, and she just basically says, the guy in the pro shop said, you're going to get me out right away and that there's a space for me. Now, number one, nobody says that. People typically coming up, um, first of all, nobody in the pro shop ever says that. So this person came up and obviously she wanted to get out and thought that, well, maybe by telling me the person in the pro shop said it's her turn now that we're just going to let her out and start to play. And who barrels into the first tee box anyway and makes that kind of statement? And she said it loudly. And I would say, Nobody does that. 
you know, but it's a holiday weekend and I don't want to make a scene and I certainly don't want to school her on how things are at the tea box. So I just basically say, hey, it's your lucky day. There's a twosome on the tea box. You can join those guys. And her response kind of blew me away. She's like, well, let me just see how they hit first. Please tell me you're seeing this too. (laughs) And I'm like, what? She goes, I want to make sure that they're not hackers. And I'm like, have you played here before? And she's like, I, I play a lot. I play a lot of golf. And so I, I helped her understand, well, we have over 280 people on the books today. And you could play with them now, or you can wait after these six people. And hopefully there might be another twosome, a single or a threesome. But I don't know when that is. And she's like, but he said I can get out right now. I'm like, you can with that twosome so she watches the one guy hit and he didn't embarrass himself and she's like well I I guess I'll play with them so I just say enjoy your round now when I say that she moves up her cart she goes to hit with those guys and the six people sitting at the tee box are laughing and they're trying to keep it down and two of the guys in the first cart that are laughing look at each other and simultaneously at the same time, they said the same thing. What a bitch. And they're looking at me and they want me to agree. And I'm like, hey, I'm not, I'm not biting on that. I'm pretty neutral when it comes to ascribing a name to behavior for people on the tee box. I, you know, I don't want to be that guy. So I let the golfers do that. And, and to me also, it's like, look, I feel for females sometimes when they're ascribed the name bitch when they're aggressive, because when a guy's aggressive, people say, hey, he's aggressive, hey, he's passionate. And a lot of time, particularly in business, when women are aggressive, they're called bitches. Now, in this situation, she was out of line. In this situation, she seemed like a privileged, wealthy individual who gets her way a lot. Most guys, when they're going through life and they're being aggressive or they're out of line, are typically put back in line. And it's typically a punch in the nose, a punch in the face, a knockdown to the ground, something physically aggressive where somebody else is sending the guy a message. You can't do that. But for other people, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. So obviously, she's never been punched in the nose for overstepping her bounds. So she feels comfortable pushing her boundaries until somebody pushes back. And my guess, a lot of people don't push back on her. So I laughed with the six golfers and said, hey, she's no longer my problem to solve. Well, that's what I thought. An hour goes by, and it's becoming light out there with tea time, so I decide I'm going to ranger the front nine. I wanted to help golfers play at a quicker pace to get as many through nine holes before it got dark. And when you're rangering, you always go against the flow of traffic. 
it's better that way to see gaps. And you can see all the indicators for slow play. It's typically if there's a gap, somebody's either spending a lot of time looking for their balls or they're talking on the tee box, whatever it is, there's a way that you could help them play a little bit faster just by making them aware of the gaps. So I get to this par five. There's nobody on the green. And I had just passed the next hole and I saw a guy's teeing off. So I'm thinking, okay, somebody should be at least hitting up to the green if everybody's in flow. Nobody's right in front of the green. Nobody's on the green. I look around 200, 250 yards into the fairway on this par five, and I see five golfers in the fairway arguing with each other. Now, first of all, I didn't let out a fivesome. So maybe a twosome and a threesome got together, combined. Maybe things were going slow. And I had to just go up there and remind them, hey, I can't have, can't play fivesomes. You can't play them because the people behind you are going to get sideways or people that live on the course and play there all the time that are always told they can't play fivesomes, they're going to see it. They're going to get sideways. They're going to call the pro shop. And guess what happens next? I get a call. So before I get a call, I think I'm going to try and solve this problem. I get closer to the group and I see the woman that I let out. She just hit a shot. And it was not a great shot again. And by the way, her first drive when she drove it, she duck hooked it left. And that's what the six people were laughing about that as well. What a bitch. But here we are several holes later, didn't hit a great shot. And she sees me, she gets in her cart, starts going towards her ball, which was not near me. And I'm like, well, that's a little disrespectful. Usually when a ranger comes up, people slow down. They look at him and say, hey, is there a problem? Or they're just waiting for the ranger to say something. She wasn't waiting. So now I get up there and there were these four guys arguing with this tweenager sitting in a cart. I guess one of her dad was one of the guys golfing and arguing. And I come up and I'm like, hey guys, I don't remember starting a fivesome. And the two guys that I started with the lady didn't say anything. But another guy in the other cart said, hey, look, These people have been behind us, hitting into us for the last several holes. And on this hole, they actually drove the ball while we're sitting in the fairway. And when they come up to their ball, the lady basically said, you guys are playing too slow. We're playing through you. What a bitch. And he's telling me this story and the other two guys are kind of quiet. And then he's getting angrier and angrier. And I kind of settle him down. And then the other two guys that were playing with the lady are like, he's being disrespectful to us. And I'm like, well, you hit into him. What do you expect? I go, go ahead, guys, go play with the lady. Go ahead forward. And I talked to the guy while his daughter sat in the cart with her eyes were wide open, just watching her dad just go apeshit in this situation. And so I calm him down and I don't go up to the threesome after and I don't go back up to that lady because I, you know, why do that? Instead, what I do is if I kind of explain to the guy who is a little bit angry, my perspective on karma and and he's like looking at me like, what are you about to say? And I'm like, Hey, whatever waves we choose to create, we're now part of it. If you're positive and you're respectful, it will follow you like a happy dog looking for a new master. And if you're negative and you're encroaching on others and cause others to retch with anger, disdain, and pain, it's going to follow you like a mistreated pit bull. You might not recognize it 
that the storm that you created is going to come back and just saturate you, but it happens. So for that enabled and entitled co-ed, bless her heart because she is going to reap what she sows. Anyway, back to my thoughts on journalism and particularly sports journalism. I mean, why do sports journalists ask stupid questions? I mean, it goes back to the industry of journalism. Sports journalists back in the 1900s, probably all the way up to the 1990s, were redheaded stepchildren. They had a poor relationship with journalism because they were thought of as asking soft questions, not asking the hard questions. So as news migrated to digital and 24-hour cable, I think the landscape changed. Please tell me you're seeing this too. The media, in my opinion, spews opinion clothed in something resembling a fact, sometimes resembling a fact. I really don't need the media to tell me how they feel about a fact or to give me assumptions and emotions about what they say is a fact. Just give me the facts and let me do the rest. So here's a fact. At some golf courses in the low country, the beer cart credit card reading devices are slow, which, which definitely causes delays in getting beverages, which contributes to slow play. So here's an assumption. If the transaction process for the beer carts was improved, total revenues generated at the club would improve and the pace of play would quicken. That's an assumption. We don't know that to be true. I mean, thirsty golfers are going to quench their thirst, even though the cart machines are slow. And swing juice is paramount when your wheels start to fall off. So people are going to get drinks either way. So will faster transactions translate to more beverage-filled, satisfied customers leading to faster play? Maybe. Maybe not. My bet's on maybe. But would you spend a few grand in the hopes that it would? That's for the decision for the people in charge. That's not my decision. But if it's up to me, fix the machines. Sell more juice. Even if play doesn't quicken, they're going to be a lot more happier people out there and cha-ching, greater revenues. That's my point of view. It's free advice, and that's what it's worth. Nothing. So why can't sports journalists just give us the facts? And ask questions of the winners to better understand how the winners won. And why interview the losing players and coaches? I mean, is it because we want to see and hear the carnage? Are we the one driving this? Or are the networks driving it to try and get some sound bites to get everybody to listen? So here are some examples. Back in 2006, Dennis Green, the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, after losing to the Bears, and they were beating the Bears. I mean, they came into the game 
I think they were one and four. They're having a really bad start. And they're coming in to play the Bears, and they're beating the Bears decidedly. I think it was like 23 to three. And then shit starts happening second half of the game. Bears come back and win it. And so reporters just start peppering Dennis Green with questions. You know, asking a losing coach questions is just a recipe for disaster. Four picks against Grossman and two fumbles. What did you see about the Bears? Uh, we shut them down that way. No, we, you know, I mean, we, we just, uh, let's, we, the Bears are what we thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Maybe it's because some sound bites last for decades. Like Jim Mora, who is coach of the New Orleans Saints, and he had never won between coaching the Saints and coaching the Indianapolis Colts. He had never won a playoff game. So in the middle of the season, they're not doing well. Some stupid reporter starts asking him about the playoffs and other things, and Jim Mora never held back. And I think the media liked that. Because the Saints ain't good enough. And you guys shouldn't write about us being a playoff team and all that bull stuff. That's malarkey. We ain't good enough to beat those guys, and it was proven out there today. Black and white, simple fact. Could have, would have, should have is the difference of what I'm talking about. The good teams don't come in and say could have. They get it done. You, re- you guys really don't know when it's good or bad, when it comes right down to it. Will you make a promise to us? Will you tell us when it's good? And I'm promising you right now that you don't know when it's good or bad. Because you don't know what we're trying to do. You guys don't look at the films. You don't know what happened. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And you never will. Okay? What's that? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Another game. Or anyone who followed the Bears when Mike Ditka was coaching... I mean, he was explosive. I mean, he wore his emotions on his sleeves. That's how he played when he was a player, and that's how he coached. And after the Bears lose a game, they start peppering him with questions about what quarterback you're going to play and talk, talk to us about the injured players. Well, Mike wanted nothing to do with it, and you could tell. I mean, anytime you're interviewing a losing coach, shit's going to explode. What do you want to know? Come on. Or I'm going to go in now. So if you don't the first team What? Doesn't matter which one run. There'll be a quarterback that'll be named next week that'll be the starter. There's three quarterbacks on this football team. Whichever one starts, starts. Whichever ones don't, we'll back him up. Period. Cut and dry. It's nobody's concern but ours. Nobody's. Next. Injuries from the uh, game. Talk to the trainer. Next. Mike, why are you in such a bad mood? What do you care? Good. Okay. You were two and seven, you'd be in a bad mood too. I guess the media just loves this shit, or maybe the fans love it, so the media keeps doing it. And then you get certain coaches that have coached over a long period of time, and they've just had it with the media. And they just know that the media is going to ask them stupid questions, and they just don't hold back. Just ask Bobby Knight. I'd like to refer to this whole thing from start to finish as a real Mickey Mouse operation. But that'd be an insult to Mickey Mouse. Your players were asked this too. Do they fear you at times on the court? I, I mean, I wouldn't know why. I never carry a gun with me. I mean, 
what am I going to do? I mean, I'm going to play. If I've ever shot a kid, I'd be I'm scared to play for me. If I, if I walked out there and I'm saying, boy, that son of a bitch shot three guys last year. <laughs> but again, before you interrupted me, what I, uh, what, and you have a real faculty for doing that. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. No, I don't think it's anything to really be too proud of myself. Uh, I think I, I when I talked about, about Pat... Bob, you came here to do an interview. I'm asking you questions. When I talked... Well, then let me finish the answer. Okay. Is that okay, go Jeremy? Ahead. Is that fair enough? Please go right Have ahead. I interrupted your questions yet? Yes. No, I haven't. You've interrupted my answers with your questions, and then I've tried to get back. So Please let me continue. finish this. No, I'll, do, I'll handle this the way I want to handle it now that I'm here. You f***ed it up to begin with. Now just sit there or leave. I don't give a what you do. Unnamed sources. Tell me what's an unnamed source. Can anybody do that? I mean, tell me what the hell is, you know, you're going to ask me questions. Let me, what's an unnamed source? You know, is an unnamed source uh, uh, me standing up here and saying that, that I just was told outside by somebody who doesn't wish to be identified that 65% of the men in this room are having extramarital affairs with sheep. And golf, a quiet game of etiquette, is not immune to the media trying to start fires. I mean, right now we certainly have the Bryson and Brooks issue, but you know, the media has taken on guys like Bubba Watson and John Daly and try to get them to say, you know, shit that's happening on the other side of the ropes. And the guys do it. I mean, the media just eats this up like a hungry dog. And now as, as this is a golf podcast, we can see the media is trying to create this tension between Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau or Brooks Kepka and Reed. It just doesn't matter who the players are. The media is looking to, for players to throw dirt at other players. I just think it's bullshit. That brings up the Patrick Reed situation that, you know, that a lot of folks were talking about, you know, (laughs) people accusing him of cheating and trying to change his lie in the sandpit. Like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, first of all, Mr. Reporter, sandpit is not like Mr. Turtle sandpit, like a sandbox. It's a bunker. Call it a bunker. Was he cheating? Uh, Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he was doing, playing, you know, building sandcastles in the, in the sand. But, uh, you know, you know where your club is. I mean, I took three months off, and I can promise you, I know if I touch sand, I don't think it's, it's one of those things where you know, uh, if you look at the video, obviously he grazes his hand twice, and then he still chops down on it. Um, okay, so who's at fault here? Is it Brooks for just being a douche and tattling on his fellow players and giving them his perspective of whether he thinks Patrick Reed cheated? Or is it the media that is just throwing gas on this fire knowing Brooks is going to take it? And I think, why can't it be both? I think they're both in the wrong. It's, I guess, you know, the Astros are going through that right now. Jim Crane said it, you know. When they, he got asked, is it cheating? And he said, no, we just you know, broke the rules. Now, I'm not giving Patrick a pass. But come on, Brooks. Between that and the shit that you said after the PGA Championship about the crowds of people and trying to take your knees out, I mean, come on, man. Step up and be a man. So, 
Um, you know, I, I know it, it's one of those things where I don't think if you play the game, you understand the rules, you understand, you know, the integrity that goes, that goes on. And I mean, there's no room for it. Um, you know, I think a lot of times too, I think guys, and I'll be honest, I've seen it a couple of times where it's like, whoa, I've seen some big names be like, whoa, that's not right. And I've, I've bit my tongue. Um, you didn't bite your tongue. You've never bitten your tongue. You just want to throw shit at people whenever the media gives you the chance. So the media, you're at fault. I mean, why do this? Why stir things up? It's because you want sound bites, and here I am talking about it. So look at you. You did a good job. But it doesn't have to be that way. I'd rather the media talk about greatness. Talk about what Phil did and how he did it. And talk to him about how he analyzes every shot and the preparation that he has been putting his body through to achieve what he's achieved. Don't talk to Brooks. I don't care what Brooks thinks. If Brooks wins, I care about how he got there. If Brooks loses, I really don't care. Talk to the winners. And somehow we put some of these sports reporters on a pedestal. Like, is Dan Patrick any different? He played college basketball at Eastern Kentucky for only two years. Then he transfers to University of Dayton, doesn't play basketball, and majored in sports journalism. He never stuck it out as a college player. He never played one day in the pros. But now he has his own show, and now I guess his show that used to be the Dan Patrick Show is a YouTube show. Um... And he looks for dirt and sound bites. I mean, he'll be doing things like interviewing outspoken Bubba Watson just to provoke him into shit talk. Should you start lifting weights? <laughs> no, no, I'd probably hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at these guys like Kepka looks like he you know, stepped out of a uh, you know, football uniform. Well, the, the key for Kepka is... Is he lifting weights or just getting tighter shirts? You know, that's the, that's the, well, you know, that's the, no, no. Mickelson gets the tighter shirts. Yeah. I think Kepka is think getting stronger. Mickelson shirts are the same. It's his body shape that changes. <laughs> yeah, when, I, when Phil wears the tight shirts, like it looks good on his arms, but it it's not flattering <laughs> any other place. But you know, Kepka's. Kepka looks... Kepka's in the gym. Like he's he could in, hurt you. Yeah, Kepka's in the gym. The only thing that Kepka doesn't do to make it to the next level is just um, he doesn't eat pure, right? Like he doesn't eat the, the lettuce every day. But um, So that would be the only thing. But yeah, he he definitely tweaks the shirts, though. I heard a rumor. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I would, too, if I had that body. Right, I would, too. I'm trying to get him baggy. Worst body on tour. Worst body on tour? Gosh. Well, the one that stands out is Phil Mickelson. Okay. But, um, Worst body on tour. Are you serious, Dan Patrick? Professional sports interviewer. All you have to do is go to a pro tournament and watch these guys blast 315, 350-yard drives and walk seven miles a day. And on Sunday, they're hitting the ball as far as they're hitting it on Thursday. Are these guys athletes? Dan <laughs> You're a piece of work.
Um, some of us, for sure. <laughs> there's, there's some that are more robots, I guess you would say. Uh, you know, they're beating balls every day. They're, they're fine-tuning the swing. There's guys that can go without playing golf and then show up and play. And those are the athletes. Those are guys with, uh, I guess, true talent. Um, some sports reporters ask ridiculously stupid questions. Uh, and I think their programs and their producers are prompting them to do that. And some athletes get caught up in the hype of being interviewed on some of these shows that reach a ton of ears and eyeballs. They want the social media presence because it could translate into sizable endorsements. The more followers you have as a player, the greater attraction you have for sponsors. The bigger sponsor, the bigger house and boat you get to buy. So it's wise to say yes to media interviews. But as an athlete, you have a choice of how you run or respond to stupid questions. I mean, Bubba could say, look, I've won 18 pro tournaments. I've won two majors. I've contributed to winning college teams. We won the SEC title uh, when I played for the Bulldogs. 18 pro tournaments, 12 in the United States, and I won two majors. I'll certainly answer questions about the wins and even the near wins and tell you what I was thinking at the time and how some of those near wins bothered me, some of the mistakes I made. But please don't ask me to shit talk fellow players. I mean, come on, Dan. In all the interviews I've listened to with Tiger Woods, I just don't recall him shit-talking players. And, you know, the media has asked him similar questions, but up until the recent maybe three or four years... Tiger was cold. He answered quick questions. He smiled. He moved on. He's become a little more human after everything that he went through. But still, he's not shit-talking other players. At least, I don't recall those sound bites. You know, in every sport, there are going to be colorful players. Like John Daly comes to mind. John Daly is known for having incredible talent and being very casual about it, particularly his drinking on the golf course. Sure that I didn't sober up to about the 13th hole, 13th or 14th hole. So uh, you were basically drunk w when you were playing? Yeah, you get in at 7, 7.30 in the morning. I got a tee time at 8.05 or 9 o'clock, you know. You'd be out till Sometimes, 7 or yeah. 7.30 yeah. in the morning when you had an 8 a.m. tee time? Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you get ready to... I mean, how, how do you play when, you know, you're up to just all hours play. no good? And clearly this reporter was not prepared to interview John Daly. I mean, you could tell he was kind of stunned as John's saying that. Look, we know John has uh, an affinity to party, and he has a tremendous amount of talent so that he can do it. So the question should be more like, man, that is incredible. How are you feeling after not getting any sleep the night before? John will tell you how he felt and kind of play into it. Don't be surprised that John's telling you all this like this is the first time you've heard it. John Daly is John Daly. He's one of a kind, and most people that do what he does couldn't even make the tea time. I got a lot of practice in South Africa from it. From <laughs> my buddies there, we <laughs> stuff. So on a rain delay, a few rain delays at certain different tournaments, me and some of these guys that like David Faraday and Peter and Ronnie McCann, 
the Pappas, we would sit in those tents and get absolutely hammered during a rain delay. Next thing you know, it'd be the next day, we'd be in the same clothes and we'd go out and play the play the tournament <laughs> in the same clothes. When you were uh, drinking the most, how many beers or how much liquor would you drink daily? I mean, way to go. Crackpot sports reporting. You encourage John Daly to rat on his playing partners, and now you're going to ask him about alcoholic volume. You know John's going to hold, no, he's not going to hold back. He's going to tell you exactly how much he drank or how much he remembers he drank. Nice journalism. You cracked the case, Sherlock. I mean, maybe sports journalism is a reflection of what the viewing and listening public want to hear. Just like maybe Marjorie Green reflects the values and thoughts of her district. I mean, they voted her in knowing full well what her positions were on key topics. I'm just suggesting from athletes that want to achieve their potential, are there better questions to ask some of these pro athletes and college athletes that will enable a more thoughtful response that could help us better prepare to achieve our potential, just like these athletes are achieving their potential? Or am I just smoking something thinking that we want to take the higher road? I think we like the dirt. I think we like when people screw up in the field of play and screw up on the interview and say shit that gets us all talking. And what does that say about us? Do you ever play King of the Hill when you're a kid? You're all fighting to stand up on top of this hill. And as soon as somebody gets up there, you're all going to get up there and knock them down so somebody else could be King of the Hill. This is no different. You've been listening to an episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, recording from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.